Ah, I'm on. There we go. <clears throat> well, good evening. Um, it's like responsive speaking. I kind of like it. No, I'm, I'm glad you guys, you know, came out tonight to, to just uh, fellowship and, and to dig into the Word a little bit. I'm grateful for those of you who are joining us online, um, you know, or who may join us online sometime in the future. Um, this, is, this is for you guys, too, so um, we'll, uh, we'll get in. I just, I'm really glad, I'm honored to be here to speak with you guys, to share kind of some stuff that, that God has been kind of speaking to me um, over this week. Um, about Psalms 23, uh, and and just so you know, it's only been this week that I've been preparing this because I was preparing uh, something on Judges and and Samson, so that will be stowed away for a later time. But there's a lot of Old Testament names, and I'm not very good at pronouncing them yet. So after I get a little bit more practice in, we'll we'll bring out the uh, the story of of Samson um, and, and share it with you guys then. Um, yeah, so tonight I'm gonna just share a little bit on the series we've been going through, Psalms 23. Um, some of it will be a recap, some of it will be a little bit new, and maybe even just a little bit of preview of what uh, the series finale is going to be this Sunday. So I'd encourage you, we're going to be meeting outside again, weather, weather permitting, um, smoke permitting, um, and we'll, we'll be finishing up Psalms 23. Um, I don't know about you, but Psalms 23 is one of those chunks of scripture that um, I'm really familiar with. You know, and I know that that lots of people are familiar with, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe, um, you know, kind of kind of everybody has has familiarity with it. You, you know how I know it's really familiar. Um, I did a little bit of research. Songs have been written about Psalms 23, and you're like Ryan. Yes, we're at church. We know that songs have been written about Psalms 23. Well, yes, we know about those songs. But also, you know, artists like the Grateful Dead, Pink Floyd, U2, Coolio, uh, Tupac, for, you know, those of you who, uh, who enjoy the rap game, um, Marilyn Manson, Kanye West, Megadeth, um, and, and maybe because of their lifestyle, that's what they're looking forward to. Um, no, so it's these, these groups that I would not recommend to anybody to listen to, but they all take this chunk of scripture and have incorporated in their song. And, and there's a reason for that. It's because it kind of resonates or connects with anybody that it comes in contact with. Um, you know, it's God's truth. It's, it's what, he's, what he's given to us. Um, I say all that to say this, right? We want to make sure that this is not familiar with just our minds, but familiar with our souls. Um, because... It's important. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Great Divorce, he said, every, uh, every poet, musician, and artist, but for grace, is drawn away from the love of the thing that he tells to the love of telling. Tell down deep in hell, or tell down in deep hell, they cannot, uh, they cannot be interested in God at all, but only what they say about him. And I think that that when we look at scriptures like this that we know that, that roll off of our tongue, um, and, and I'm sure that, that we all have it memorized a certain way, or we've heard it a certain way, probably King James or New King James. Um, but it becomes this, this kind of tagline that we use, not, um, not something that we know here, but just something that we can remember up here, something that we heard when we were a little kid or, or 
in a song from a, a secular artist, or, or maybe it was a song from a Christian artist. Um, so, so I would challenge us, um, challenge us to really, really think about that when we're listening to these sermons um, that Brandon's been, been sharing with us on Psalms, to really, um, to really dig deep and to, to know it with, make it familiar with our soul, um, not just with our minds. And I was wondering, how are we going to, when we, you know, Brandon started talking about this, how are we going to break um, this down into six individual sermons, right? This is six verses, and we're going to do, do six 45-minute sermons on it. And then we're probably going to talk about it a little bit during our midweek um, you know, time here with you guys. Um, how are we going to do that? But then, I guess I shouldn't have been too surprised because like the rest of the Bible, each, each verse has depth, um, but yet it works in concert with the whole chapter and, and with the whole Bible. And so we can look at, look at each, chap, each verse of the chapter and, and see the depth of what, um, what's trying to be shared with us. Um, and then we can, we can also look at the whole chapter and then we can compare that to the whole Bible. And it all works together just kind of as this nice, nice um, symbiotic love letter from, from our Father, right? So I will read um, Psalms 23 in its entirety, and I'm going to switch my Bible version over to the King James because that's how I learned it. And, and otherwise, I will say words that actually won't be in front of me. Um, that is one of my, my faults is when I'm looking through my notes, I tend to skip past, and so then I have to go back and, and make up. So here it is. It's Psalms 23, um, verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Um, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, I just I thank you for this opportunity to um, just to come and and read this this really powerful six verses that that David wrote down that you gave to us, Lord Jesus. And I just pray that as we dig into those that that we would be open um, to what you have for us, Lord God, that um, you would use any of the words that are meant today from me for these people that are listening, Lord, and any of the ones that are just from me, I just pray that you would throw them away. Um, God, I just, I thank you for this, this honor and this time that we get to spend together. In your name, Jesus, amen. So, the question that, um, and I'm going to be trying to play and talk at the same time, um, the question that we have to ask is, in, in these times, who do we trust, right? We've run into this question more this year than we have in recent memory. Who do we trust? Do we trust the government? Do we trust the president? Do we trust our pastors? Do we trust um, our gut feeling? Who do we trust? You know, should we, uh, should we avoid everybody? Should we hug everybody? Who do we trust? And I think that when we look at this scripture, 
this is God laying out exactly who we should trust, and he gives us the why. Um, the why is, is in, these, in these verses, and it's also in the verses that go along with it, right? So verse one is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that literally translates as, I, lack, I, I do not lack what I need, right? So I need nothing. Think about that for a second, because when you say, I shall not want, or I will want for nothing, depending on your version, you go, well, I want lots of things. But God says, you will not lack what you need, literally. I think that um, when we talk about the Lord is my shepherd, we, we have to go to John 10. So John 10, um, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> I'm just going to read a little bit of chunk of that. And I'm going to switch out of King James Version because I didn't learn this in the King James. Verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and does not own sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because a hired hand does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know my Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. What does that say right there about who Jesus says he is, right? He's, and, and who we should trust, who we should believe. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, the hired hands, right? So these people that we think have our best interests at heart. They run away when danger comes. They run away when their lives are threatened. Um, but he doesn't. He, he steps up. He, um, well, he ultimately laid down his life for us, but he is the one that, that defends us in the face of his own death um, against the wolves. Um, I think we get into trouble when um, we want something that God hasn't provided us or believing we are lacking, right? That's, that's what we're talking about in that second part. It's I shall not want. Um, and often we get to these places where we um, think that we know what we need and we often confuse it with what we really need. Uh, we look at these situations that, that are outlined in this and we go, wow, you know, I don't, I don't really um, understand as much as I thought I understood after you start looking at, at Psalms 23, right? Um, <clears throat> verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, this, this is a verse of encouragement. This is really something that, that if, you, if you read it and words mean things, to me this is encouraging. Because he says um, green pastures and still waters. Not, not a green pasture or I'm going to lead you to a watering hole. It's plural. He's going to lead us to lots of them. It's not a one-off. It's not we are only going to have one time in our life where we have this... Um, rest and restoration 
right, that we, that we see in verse 2 and verse 3 um, even. Um, he's giving us this rest and restoration that we don't normally, um, that we don't normally get. It's, it's that grace and that provision. It's, it's also, there's clarity, um, you know, when, when uh, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. You know, he makes me lie down. Sometimes we get breaks when we don't want breaks or when we are so busy that we can't see straight. You know, we, we have these moments where, where we're running around and, and something happens and we have to take a breath. And... Um, and we go, man, this just threw off my whole week or my whole day or my whole life. You know, if you're a teenager, it definitely ruined your life at least once or twice when you were growing up, right? Um, I can't believe you did that. But, but really, it could just be he is letting us, he is making us lay down in green pastures. He's making us take a break. Um, the next one is he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So again, it's that, it's that restoration. It's that restoring that first part. And, and this might be the, the pivot in this is he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So um, I don't know about you guys, but on my own power, I couldn't find my righteousness with a map, an app, anything else that starts with or ends with the letter P. Um, I might be able to find self-righteousness because I think that's easy to get to. Um, I think we, we run into that a lot. We, we run into these scenarios where, where um, well, an example, right? We, how many of you in, in this in your lifespan of, and your, your following Christ and being a Christian, have you gone, well, I won't do that again. Um, you know, this was the last time that I will do that. Or, or, man, I can't believe I made that mistake. We've all done it. I've done it a lot. And that's, that's us trying to, trying to walk that path of righteousness, trying to find that path of righteousness on our own, with our own power. And, and when we when we take the opportunity to um, accept our good shepherd, he leads us on the path of righteousness. Um, verse four, well, before I get to verse four, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the rest of my notes. You know, when we talk about um, he restores my soul and he leads me on the path of righteousness for his namesake, I think we prefer, right, this self-righteousness. We prefer um, busy notoriety, overworked importance, and anxious control over the complete provision of rest in Christ. So it's, it's that complete provision of rest that we get in Christ, and we prefer what we can do, uh, what we can grasp, what we can hold, hold on to, and what we can control. Verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You know, we talk about the, the plurality of, of uh, green pastures and still waters. We know that those are there, um, but it doesn't give us a, uh, a shortcut 
across. You know, you ever play the game uh, Shoots and Ladders, you always want the ladder that goes all the way to the top, all the way to the end. Um, but, but we don't get that guarantee, you know. Um, guaranteeing that is, is really just is, is preaching a fra- false gospel. It's, it's preaching that, that we get those still waters, but there's never going to be these times of, of the valley of the shadow of death. Right? Um, you look back at John 10, and, and we realize that, that as we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, who is our shepherd? Because John 10 kind of lays out two different shepherds in that. One is the good shepherd, who will not leave us or forsake us, and one is the hired hand who flees. Right? And Jesus says, I will be there. I will stick with you um, during that time. Um, it reminds me of a couple of other verses. Um, Isaiah 43, verse 2. And Isaiah 43, 2 says, I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers, and, th- and they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flames will not burn you. It's God talking to us, right? He says, I will be with you when all of those things happen. It's, it's the good shepherd saying, I won't abandon you um, back in Isaiah. Um, we all know, well, at least most of us are, are somewhat familiar with, with a verse in Romans 8. And Romans 8, if I said, we all know Romans 8, 28. And if you don't, as soon as I read it, you'll remember it says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We like that verse. Um, 29 says, for those, who for, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to, his, to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, some of that is, is shaping for us. It's how do, we, how do we go from who we are in our comfort to who God wants us to be. And sometimes that valley of the shadow of death is just the world and it's sin and it's, it's um, the power of this world, right? The devil trying to attack us. And sometimes... It's God saying, in this time, I am going to shape you. Um, I was listening to, to uh, a lecture that Elizabeth Elliot gave, and, and Elizabeth Elliot is an amazing, amazing woman. She was married to a man named Jim Elliot, who, um, who was a missionary to um, indigenous tribes that had never heard the gospel. And some of them didn't want to hear the gospel. They were married for just over two years, I think. Um, She was pining for him for five. They were married for just over two. And he was killed um, when making a trip to an indigenous group that hadn't hadn't heard the gospel yet. Um, And people, they knew going in that people that go in there don't come out. They had tried, other groups have tried for other reasons, whether it be for, for mining or oil or whatever. But but they wanted to go share the gospel. And, and she shared the story of the day that she heard 
her husband was missing. And he, she said that, that, you know, I'd hoped that maybe they just got invited in by the tribe and, and that the, the tribe was, um, you know, taking care of them and that's why we hadn't heard from them over the radio. She goes, but five days later, I heard what we expected but all feared was that my husband and the other five men, or the other four men, I think there's five of them total, um, were, were killed by this tribe. And she said, she said that this, this was, you know, devastating, but she said that she never, or she always felt the presence of God there. Um, he, she said that that's the one thing that we're always promised, right? The, the, the promise of John 10, um, that, that I am the good shepherd and I will not forsake you. Um, she felt that then. She goes, we are always prom- promised his presence. We aren't always promised good things. She, um, <clears throat> she looked at that situation um, when she talks to people. She says, she says that people come up to her and go, well, if I only had your faith. And, and she's a very humble woman. And she says stuff like, well, of course you don't have my faith. My faith is meant for me in this situation. She goes, well, if I was only as brave as you, and it goes, I would not be as brave as you in your situation because God didn't mean that for me. And it's something that, that we often do in our society, I think, that we compare. I just can't, I can't understand how you guys can do that. Well, we do it because that's what God has for us at the time, or or when someone goes, you know, you just, you just, I, I see so much faith in you. I go, well, that's the faith that God has given me for this situation. But it's not a, it's not an A B comparison. Um, Elizabeth Elliot, to me, went through a much darker um, valley of shadow of death than I have ever been through. But, but she says, God gave me the patience, the faith, the courage that I needed when I needed it, and it was available to me because I chose to follow the good shepherd. Um, so as we transition into five, uh, verse five, I want to I flip over to Genesis um, 49 and verse 22. And it would be good if I went to 49, not 29. So this is the uh, this is a story that that at least at a certain point we all know. This is the the story of Joseph, um, the story of Jacob. And, and in this part of the story, we catch up to, to Jacob praying over his sons. And, and in 22, verse 22, he catches up to Joseph. And, and Joseph, he prays this. He says, Joseph is a, proof, a fruitful vine, a vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. The archers attack him, shot at him, and they were hostile towards him. Yet his, his bow remained steady. His his strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. 
by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. So it's kind of one of the first times that, I think it is the first time that we, we see, um, see reference to the good shepherd, right? Someone who, um, someone who is going to take care of him and hold him strong. And, and that leads us into to verse 5, right? So, so uh, in verse 5, he's, he's leading us into joy. So we just came through the valley of the shadow of death. And in verse 5, it says, uh, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. So we look at the story of Joseph. He, uh, he was, bef- that before that prayer was prayed, he was about to get sold into slavery, um, into Egypt, and, and go through a lot of trial. And then, then we know that he is, you know, he is in control of a lot of things, or he's put in charge of a lot of things because of his faith in God. The... Um, the thing that I always, when I, when I see this, I think it shows the security that we have in Jesus. Um, he gives us security that we don't have in a normal war, right? Um, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. I, I like the story, and I was talking to my wife this morning about it in Judges 7. Um, it's the story of Gideon, and he's getting ready to, to attack this army. And, and I encourage you to read it. It's great. But, but God, does, God does one thing for sure and then one thing that's my opinion. Um, the one thing he does for sure is he says, I am in complete control of the situation. He starts with over 30,000 men. And he says to Gideon, he goes, there are too many men. If you attack with this many men, Israel will say, we did this in our power. We saved ourselves. So, so Gideon was supposed to tell them that if anybody's afraid, you can leave. And about 20,000 guys left. So he's left with, you know, 10,000-ish people. And then God said, no, this is still too many. And he said, when I tell you they have to go, they have to go. But if they can stay, if I tell you they can stay, they can stay. And he takes them to this brook to get water. And, and they, they all, I'm assuming, you know, it's, it's not exactly a... a an oasis around there, so I'm guessing they're thirsty. And when they get there, they they all start drinking. And most of the men just dunk their heads in the water and start slurping it up. And then there are 300 men who sit there, take a knee, scoop it with their hand, and take a sip and do it like this. And so so what, what is true in this, for sure, is that God is using this situation saying, I am in complete control. When these 300 men, later in the story, destroy this massive army, there's no way that you can say God did not take control of the situation. I also think that, that in wartime, this is my opinion now, I think in wartime, we eat and drink differently. Um, you know, we don't sit and recline and relax. Um, when we eat, we, we, we eat with one eye open, we drink with one eye open, we sleep with one eye open, right, the saying. Um, and I think that, that when you know who is in control, right, that our, our security that we have in Jesus, when he says, I prepare a table before you um, in the presence of my enemies, or you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, when D- David says that, it's, 
it's a feast, right? We're not talking about a couple of MREs that they're eating really hurriedly. They're coming out of this deep, dark valley up to this banquet table. And, and we get this opportunity, right? He is leading us into joy. And, and I use joy because we like to use the word happy, right? If it makes me happy. But happy is really, um, it's really weak. It's really flimsy. It's really wishy-washy. It, it's not, not true joy, right? But think about it like this. Our very real enemy sets his face to destroy us. Um, and we go through the mud. We go through the valley of the shadow of death. The enemy says, I'm going to destroy his faith. I'm going to minimize his life. I'm going to choke out the vibrancy of the saint. And through it all, we say, thank you, Jesus, for this. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this feast. Thank you for subduing my enemies. How frustrating, how frustrating is that to our enemies? This is, the, this is the verse where God says, I get the last word. He says, I can prepare a feast in front of your enemies and you will have a feast. We look at, um, you know, you look at the end of the story of Joseph and it's after his dad dies and he goes and buries him and his brothers are worried that because they did all these terrible things to their brother um, that, that they're going to be in trouble, that he's going to kill them. And Joseph said to them, um, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God, or am I in the place of God? Right, asking the question, am I the judge? But then he says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Right, we've heard that verse paraphrased. What, what you meant for bad, God meant for good. And that is, that's what we get, you know, when we look at he prepares a table before our enemies. It's God preparing something good for us in the face of all of this valley of shadow of death that we just walked through. Um, I heard this the, uh, preacher say this, and, and I agree with it. Um, joy, because we talk about the difference between joy and happiness. Joy is, the, joy is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the saints. That's something that, that is there. It's always there for the, for the saints. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. I um, heard, a, heard a story. Well, it was, it was, again, it was Elizabeth Elliot telling the story of Corey Ten Boom. And Corey Ten Boom was, uh, well, her family was watchmakers in Holland um, during the World, Second World War, and their family hid Jews. And, and two things stuck out to me about the story of Corey Ten Boom that, that was relayed through Elizabeth Elliot. One was um, she was really concerned that they would get turned in and that they wouldn't be able to handle it. And she was worried that she would break under the pressure of torture. And then she went to her dad and explained all of these things to her dad. And, and uh, her dad said, well, when we go ride on the train, when do I give you the ticket for the train? Do I give it to you a week before, a day before, 
She says, no, and I give it to you when we get on the train, right? She goes, yeah. He goes, God is like that. He gives us what we need when we need it. Not a week before, not two weeks before, but when we need it. And, and I think that that falls so much under, right, the who do we trust line that I, that I started with. Um, the other one is when they moved, made the movie The Hiding Place, um, Billy Graham asked the actress who played Corey Ten Boom, what was one of the attributes that you found um, most, um, most powerful or most interesting when you were doing research for this character? And, um, and this, part, this part always chokes me up even just thinking about it. Um, the actress said, the thing that I found most amazing about Corey Ten Boom was her joy. This is, this is a girl who went to a concentration camp. Her dad was killed there. Her, her sister died of starvation. Um, and and she, she is known in, through the people that tell her legacy that she was known for joy. Okay, I, I don't know about you, but I have not gone through that valley of shadow of death. Um, but I hope that, that when I do, joy is what I'm known for. I hope that, that when someone writes about me, you know, in a family diary, because I don't plan on being famous, um, that that is what, that's one of my legacies, right? Ryan was joyful even when he was in these midst of, of trials and tribulations, because that one's tough. It's tough, to, uh, it's tough to convince yourself that, that you can't do it on your own, because that's our, that's our default as human beings, is we can do this on our own. And then the last, and this is just, just a taste for, for Sunday, is surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, what an what a awesome statement that is. Um, you know, he leads us into confidence. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And, and a quote from a pastor is, um, because, because I think, I'll read the quote in just a second, but I'm ad-libbing. I think that when, when we look at these, um, if we're being honest with ourselves, Sometimes we see God as this person carrying this hammer, chasing us, trying to knock chunks off of us, which is not untrue. But, but sometimes we see that he is there for, for just our punishment and damnation. And I think that misses the mark. But I do, I do agree with this statement. It says, to, to surrender to the leadership of Jesus is to surrender to the goodness and mercy to rebel against the leadership of Jesus is to rebel against goodness and mercy. I'll read that again. To surrender to the leadership of Jesus is to surrender to goodness and mercy. To rebel against the leadership of Jesus is to rebel against goodness and mercy. You know, we sing songs about how good our Father is, or we just read um, about Jesus telling us that he is the good shepherd. Um, we read through Psalms 23 where it's, it just... It pours out all of these good things that he has for us and he prepares for us. And if we surrender to his leadership, to the leadership of the good shepherd, then, then we have goodness and mercy and it will follow us all of our days. All of our days. 
that is what I have for you guys. I thank you for, you know, coming out. Let me pray for you. And, and if you have questions or want to talk, I'm happy to stick around afterwards and, and have conversations with whoever. But, but I really just hope, uh, like I said before, um, I hope that this is not just familiar in our minds, but that we sink it deep in our heart, in our soul, um, that this becomes something that is not just that catchphrase of Christianity, but something that is deeply rooted in us. We pray with me. God, I just, I thank you so much for the opportunity, again, just to share, to look at your word. Um, I know, I know how convicting these words were for me when I was, when I was preparing them, Lord God. How often that, that I try to, to default to what I can control and what I can handle. Um, you know, trying to rely on myself, Lord God. But I just pray that that as I move from here and as we move from here, Lord God, that we would, we would be able to live these verses to the fullest. That um, when we are gone or even when we're here but not in someone's presence, that they would be able to say, they have gone through the valley of the shadow of death and they are joyful because they know the promise that they have in you, Lord God. I just pray this in your name. I pray, um, I pray for our church as we move forward into the next seasons, Lord God, that, that we would, we would um, know that you are our good shepherd and that we would lean into your comfort, Lord Jesus. Amen.